This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Tell Me This, a podcast about belonging, building community, learning how to cultivate that belonging in our colleagues, our friends, our kids, our neighbors, and also how to do the work ourselves so that we also build a sense of belonging, self-belonging, really. This is episode nine, if you can believe it. It's What's in Your Bucket, and I'm your host, Carrie Borkowski, and I'm, I'm so happy to be back with you. If you've had a chance to visit my website, whatsourstory.com, you might have noticed that I added a sort of midweek blog post uh, last week. I was feeling inspired really just by everyday life, and so I hope you'll check it out. And this episode really is um, coming off of that uh that blog post. So I just wanted to sort of continue that conversation. So if you haven't had a chance to check out the blog, please go to whatsourstory.com. And there's a place up at the top there. You can click on blogs and check it out. It's about being a bucket dipper or bucket filler. So if you did read that blog, and we'll talk a little bit more about those terms later, one takeaway for me in that whole experience is that people notice things even when we don't realize it, right? It really is the little things that matter most. I mean, we've been talking a lot in this podcast, I think, about the little steps, right? Whether it's goal setting, whether it's cultivating belonging, um, just that these things matter and that slowly and gradually, um, good and bad, these... um, little episodes, these little events, these little instances can either slowly build us up or they can also chip away at our spirits, our souls, our confidence, our respect, and even our self-worth. So I think this podcast mostly is about paying attention. Um, You know, if we don't care for and pay attention to how we engage with others, um, we could do some, some damage, you know, and I think that's the that's the tricky part, right? Is that this damage and even the and I think it worked this is like two sides of the same coin, right? It's that the damage or the celebration, so the sort of the good and the sort of negative that we can create in any space, it doesn't have to be dramatic and usually it's not dramatic. It's not, you know, the sort of bomb going off or some explosion happening or even fireworks in the positive way. It's those small little things in everyday occurrences that really matter. And so in today's episode, we're going to talk about what's in your bucket 
and maybe what you're putting in others' buckets or not putting in other uh, others' buckets. So this podcast, as I said, is about belonging. And it's about remembering that those little steps, you know, create these butterfly effects or a ripple effect, whatever your word of choice is, and that these simple steps do have these effects um, we never even knew would happen, and they all contribute to our sense of belonging. What we do not talk about enough, I think, is that these steps work in both directions, right? That they can contribute to filling up your bucket. So if you're a bucket filler and emptying you out, or at least maybe not emptying you, but certainly reducing what's in your bucket, the bucket dipper. The interesting part is that it happens over time and often, as I said, without us even knowing about it. And we're going to talk a little bit about, in the second part of the episode today, something called microaggressions. I am not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I did want to share this, this term and this idea with listeners. Um, but it could also be insults, unkindness, you know, words, word choices, feelings, looks, actions, um, and it just cuts, cuts both ways ways. It is not just about saying and doing things in a positive direction. It is what you're doing or not doing um, or saying that often matters as well. So tell me this, are you paying attention to how your words, actions, and interactions contribute to other people? Are you in tune enough with yourself and others to recognize the positive and the negative contributions you might make. Remember, I love a good paradox. So this is not an either or proposition. This is this is an and. And whether we want to look in the mirror and admit it, or I heard this great metaphor today um, about critical reflection. So imagine you're holding a video camera and looking through the lens, and the person that you're looking at is yourself, right? So when you look through that camera and take that video, um, are you able to admit that you are both a bucket filler and a bucket dipper? So, you know, I love a good story. Um, part of why I wanted to do this podcast, and I will definitely get to a story about my grandmother later. I bet you can guess what I think she had most of with respect to being a bucket dipper or bu bucket filler. But before I do that, I wanted to, if you would allow me, to share a personal example and as I thought about sharing this personal example, I think that Brene Brown's words about boundaries always fall into my head or come into my head. She talks about vulnerability and authenticity, of course, as many of you already know. And she emphasizes, um, it, it comes up often in her Dare to Lead book, but it's been in other books. Um, and she talks about how important boundaries are especially in professional and really any space we enter. So she really makes it clear that she believes that and she wants others who are uh, reticent about being vulnerable, that this isn't sort of pouring out your entire heart to whomever is in the room. So you wouldn't imagine going into a boardroom or into a faculty meeting or into the teach a teacher's meeting with the principal. And vulnerability in those instances is not, you know, telling it all, right? You have to be selective and careful about being vulnerable. And so I hesitated about sharing this story, but then, then I thought, I do think it's important to share our stories so that we learn more about each other. It's, it's important to learn to listen to each other and to see that we often feel and worry and care about more things that are the same than are different. So I wanted to start our conversation or our discussion off uh, today with something I've been experiencing quite recently, um, 
and how when I was running this morning, which is ironic, as you'll see in a second, I made a connection to the, to today's podcast. So hopefully this won't, won't be seen as going over the boundaries. I don't, I don't think it will be. So some of you may know that I recently signed up for a half Ironman. And for folks out there who don't know, it is a three event race. So it's swimming, biking, and running. And not to anybody's surprise, I hope it's half the distance of a full Ironman, half Ironman, right? So what does that mean? Well, it means that it's a one mile swim. It's about a 50 mile bike ride and a 13 mile run, which is 13.1, a half marathon. So now for folks listening who know me, it it wouldn't be that surprising, I hope, that I would sign up for a race. I've been biking and running for a long time. Um, I'm, I'm an avid exerciser. It's, it's a great way to relieve stress and get a little quiet time when you have three kiddos running around the house. I've completed marathons, ultra marathons. I've done sprint triathlons. I've done a Ragnar relay. If you've never done that and you have six friends that you love doing, um, I don't know, crazy fun adventures with, I definitely would recommend you check it out. A Tough Mudder, honestly, probably the hardest thing I ever did, and lots of other kinds of races. So why am I sharing this? Because for some reason, signing up and starting to train for this particular event, Half Ironman, has brought on some serious fear of failures. I used to go out for a run. I had like, you know, I'm a, I'm a planner. I'm type A, let's admit it. And, you know, I always like to do a schedule. So I would, you know, print out a calendar with, you know, three months out so that I could do my training plan. And I would I'd have the, the lengths of the runs all mapped out. So I knew each day what I was, how many miles I was going to run and where I was going to run. And for some reason, now when I'm training, I get so nervous and I have so much doubt before I step out of the house. Again, this isn't this isn't really like me. I mean, I have those days where I'm like, oh, do I really want to run today? It's too hot or it's too cold or it's kind of rainy. Um, I definitely have those days, but I'm not talking about that kind of angst. I, I'm worried that I won't be able to do it and not just do it the half marathon, but for whatever reason, my brain goes to... What if you don't feel good when you go up that hill at mile three, right? Because I'm imagining the the route that I'm going to run and there are lots of hills where I live. Um, or what if you get tired or what if you feel sore or I mean, just, you know, what if it's super windy? Um, just all of these feelings of doubt. Um, and I had two realizations about this. One, and this really comes from a book um, that I'm reading right now that I'll uh, share with you at some point in the in the podcast about developing organizations. It's if I don't start somewhere, I can never get better. And I love that. And I'm hoping to use that with my students a little bit. But think about that for a minute. If I don't start somewhere, I can never get better. So think about things that you worry about beginning in your life, whether it's a paper, right? Writing that first draft of a paper, a manuscript, a blog post, a podcast episode. If you don't start it, if you don't say a little bit, type a little bit, write a little bit, you don't ever give it a chance to get better. So that's the first thing I got to keep in mind. I have to start somewhere. So I need to do the exercise. I need to do the work so I can continue to get better. The second thing I realized, and this was 
I think an important realization, but I don't know if shocking is the right word, but definitely took me aback. We can also be our own bucket dipper. And that's how we get back to this podcast. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? The way we talk to ourselves, our fear about failure can prevent us from trying new things. It can create self-doubt and worry and low sense sense of belonging. Um, If we tell ourselves we can't succeed, um, we're not able to create something, it really can stagnate our growth personally and professionally. So while this podcast episode was intended and, and probably still will focus mostly on bucket dipping and failing from others, super important to keep in mind that our own self-talk and work matters. I would argue just as much. There's probably research that'll give us give us the breakdown, but I'm going to leave it at equal for now in terms of importance from external and internal. So when we when I come back, I'm going to talk about the lessons for the podcast, which which are what is the story behind bucket dipping and bucket filling? So we'll just talk a little bit about that. We'll dig in a little bit more to this idea of the two sides of the same coin with simple steps are important when setting goals, but they can also be simple steps to diminishing belonging. And thirdly, what I've come to realize is there will always be bucket dippers. So what can we do? So when I come back, we'll get into this whole idea of bucket dipping and bucket filling. I hope you'll stick around. Thanks. Thanks for sticking around. This is Tell Me This, and this is episode nine, What's in Your Bucket? And so on today's podcast, we're talking about bucket dipping and bucket filling. And I was just talking about how you can be your own bucket dipper. Maybe there's a t-shirt in there or something. I don't know. The point I'm trying to make here is that this isn't just about external bucket dipping and bucket filling, but that we also really need to be mindful of our own self-talk and how we're, we're treating ourselves. So what is bucket dipping and bucket filling? Well, for more on that, you could certainly swing over to my website, whatsourstory.com, and check out the blog post. It was sort of a midweek extra, if you will, on the blog. And for folks who haven't read it yet, the idea is that a person's mental and emotional health might be represented by an invisible bucket, right? This idea that giving love, providing attention, fostering a sense of belonging, and all those other positive words and actions contribute to filling our buckets and making us feel better and loved and comforted, comforted, cared for, valued. And there's a book by Carol McLeod, M-C-C-L-O-U-D, Have You Filled a Bucket Today? And it's about nurturing and cultivating happiness in kids. And a lot of what I found when I was researching for this podcast is with respect to kids. Um, I think, however, we could argue that this is true across the ages. Um, so just keep that in mind. Bucket dipping. And, and honestly, when I first heard this term, I was like, bucket dipping, what in the world is that? Because I was thinking bucket filling and bucket tipping, right? Like dumping over the bucket. But bucket dipping is the opposite of bucket filling, according to Carol McLeod. It's this idea that saying mean things or bullying, showing unkind or thoughtless acts can start to empty our buckets. And I think this, I'm starting to really like this idea of bucket dipping because it goes back to the point that I made in the first uh, segment of the podcast, which is 
more often than not, these are subtle actions. And so dipping into the bucket is certainly more subtle than dumping the whole thing over, right? That would, that would go more with my, my idea of sort of a, an explosion or a crash or a large crisis. It's much more subtle than that. So as promised, I definitely have a story about my grandmother and hopefully it's no surprise to anybody out there who's heard even one or two stories that I've shared about my grandmother. I think she was most certainly a bucket filler. Um, We did lots of amazing things together with our family. She did lots of amazing things with and for our family, singing, hugging, talking, tell me this, right? The sort of genesis of this podcast all small, seemingly insignificant, quote unquote, normal things that happened when I was around my grandmother. So normalized that I did not recognize or was not conscious of their effect on me. I could describe the feeling and I definitely carried some of that feeling with me when I was with her and when I left her, but I am not sure I really realized her influence, the contribution and the power until I was away from her and certainly when she more recently left this earth. I wanted to talk a little bit about singing. And this might not be when you think about the list of bucket filling actions or words. This may not be the first thing that came to mind. But as I was thinking about stories about my grandmother, this is the first one that jumped into my head. No matter where we were going and no matter how short the trip, I can still remember piling in to my grandparents' big old sedan. Remember the one I mentioned that my mom and her siblings rode around in? Well, imagine that one. Probably not the same one, but certainly a similar style. Big old boxy Lincoln Continental sort of thing with big fancy red brake lights on the back and some fancy medallion like an L or something on the front hood. In that car, a simple radio. No cassette player, no compact disc or CD player, and certainly no Bluetooth. So we're not talking about using iPhones or Androids or whatever your your sort of preference is. We didn't need it. You know why? My grandmother, and really my grandfather as well, had about a thousand songs in her head, and she and my grandfather knew most of them together. As soon as we would get in the car, we'd start singing together. We would do rounds. We would do harmony. Good mood or bad mood, we would sing. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands or put a smile on your face, Carrie. If I was in a bad mood, that was this, that was her go-to song. She would look you square in the eyes and sing that one, and you just couldn't help but smile. We'd start, we would just start singing with my grandmother. Try as you might, that frown would turn into laughter. That singing just never changed. Cars, boats, walks, bike rides. When I would wake up in her house, remember the morning I shared smelling bacon in her house? There would be music on, just filling me up for the day. Listening to my grandmother sing, I don't know why, just filled me up with complete joy. I didn't even always know the songs, but I just loved to hear her sing. And then I would listen for a few minutes and I could sometimes pick up the words and sing along. She was a bucket filler for sure. Never to knew, never knew her to be anything but. And when I was spending time with her during her final days, 
what did we all do? We put on some music and we sang. We did have a fancy CD player by this time, but it was still the songs that she loved to sing and hear. She didn't sing along, but I like to think that her brought, it brought her comfort and filled her up. I'm hoping it gave her peace as she was transitioning from this world. All my cousins, my aunts, my other family members and friends also did some singing during those last days, and those simple acts translated into love, comfort, joy, sadness, and a sense of belonging in that space together with my grandmother. We really do need to remember and notice that the simple gestures and the simple decisions in our day-to-day lives matter. They can hurt us, but they can also fill fill us up. So when I'm in the car with my kids or having dinner with my family, what do you think we do? Alexa, turn on our favorite playlist. The music might be a little different, and the way that we get to that music has changed, but the feelings and the results are the same. What are your go-to bucket-filling actions? Have you filled up somebody's bucket today? When When I come back, I'll talk about two sides of the same coin and continue with our discussion of what's in your bucket. Thanks for listening. This is Tell Me This, and I'm your host, Carrie Borkowski. All right, welcome back. This is episode nine, What's in Your Bucket of the podcast, Tell Me This. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski. Thanks for sticking around and listening. So yes, my grandmother, hopefully to no one's surprise, was definitely a bucket filler. I'm sure we had moments of dipping, but gosh, they seem like so few and far between. And, and while the way we access music these days might be a little different, the kind of music we listen to might not always sound the same, although I still have some some oldies on my favorite playlist. That whole notion of singing for me and I think for my kids now, definitely a form of bucket filling. So um, I'd love to hear from you. If you if you have a moment, drop me an email at Borkowski at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you and your family or your friends do to get in some bucket filling. So we've talked about this idea, these ideas of bucket filling and bucket dipping. I also wanted to touch just briefly on this notion of two, the two sides of the same coin, that simple steps we, I think we've established and we can say with some confidence that they matter. I think what we're learning today is that they they work in both ways, right? So this idea that you can do positive, you can take steps that result or create positive results. Um, you can also, however, take steps that not so positive, right? That maybe have some detrimental effect or maybe less positive um, outcomes for for you or the the individuals in in the community or in the meeting or where in that setting. So. There's a couple of types of bucket dipping that I wanted to talk about. Um, the first one is microaggression. And again, there are experts on this. If this is something you're interested in, I would highly recommend that you you know, seek out the literature on microaggressions because I in no way claim to be an expert. Um, by definition, this idea of microaggression is a subtle and contemporary form of bias and everyday occurrence 
exchanges that send denigrating messages to certain individuals because of their group membership. And I was um, intentional at not defining group membership, um, although this, uh, there's a researcher, Pierce, um, from the 1970s that when he talked about microaggressions, he defined it as subtle, stunning, often automatic put downs and nonverbal exchanges. And he was talking about <coughs> black Americans, particularly. There's also literature now on gender, um, sexual orientation. But I wanted to be intentional with respect to group membership because arguably we could um, other in quotes, right? Othering, we could exclude individuals in in groups that we define in all sorts of ways. So I wanted to be clear and, and not use a particular group. Um, there's also a term called micro inequities that I was not uh, familiar with. This is Solarzano, Seha, and Yosa, 2000. And they talked about patterns of being overlooked, under-respected, and de devalued. And these uh, researchers talked in the context of race or gender. So I bring these words up because these are related to bucket dipping. Um, these are maybe more academic or business kinds of words that are used. So I wanted my audience to be familiar with these words. And I also wanted to provide just a couple of examples for us to be thinking about. So this notion of being, <coughs> excuse me, colorblind there was also a quote that I saw in, in the article I read, the Solarzano article, the, the, the individual they were interviewing talked about how um, she was interviewing for a job and the person interviewing her said, I don't even think about employees as men or women. People are people. And so <laughs> you might wonder why being colorblind, saying you're colorblind or you don't see color, you don't see race or this idea that, you know, you don't see gender when thinking about or hiring employees, why this might rec represent a microaggression. Well, the idea is that um, if you're not recognizing individual characteristics of people that you're hiring, talking to, working with, then you're not valuing the uniqueness and the contributions that being a part of that group might represent for your relationship, for the work you're doing, for the work they're doing um, for the organization. And so this really is a form of microaggression. And then it, it could be um, as, and is often felt like bucket dipping, right? That you're making someone feel <coughs> less valued, less important, less cared for, less seen. Um, and so just, you know, as I said, I do not want to get too deep on this topic because this this is not a place that I feel really comfortable going deeply. Um, I know just a little bit about it, mostly from my own reading. My point here is this. We've been talking about the simple steps towards improvement, but it's also important to remember that simple steps can lead to lower levels of, you know, self-belonging, lower levels of belonging for a group. There's also a word in the literature called thwarted belonging, really where you really almost feel outright rejected. It can conjure up feelings of doubt, worry, a focus on scarcity, which means you're using language around never being enough or focusing on what you might lack or not have that's making people sort of act in a certain way towards you. 
So when I come back, I want to chat about resilience because the reality is that even on our best parenting days, on our best days of being really loyal friends and great colleagues, we cannot prevent bucket dipping from getting through. We just can't. I mean, challenging relationships happen. Challenging conversations happen. There are folks in the world that are on their own path, learning at different, um, on a different trajectory. And as a result, there's going to be bucket dipping that happens. Remember, this is a paradox. It's not an or, it's a both. So both of these bucket dipping and bucket filling exist. So the key is not prevention, but reaction. How do we each handle and manage these dips, subtle or otherwise, and how do we help and support our colleagues, our friends, our families, our kiddos in our lives manage these bucket dipping instances? So when we come back or when I come back, we'll get into that. All right. Thanks for listening to Tell Me This. All right. Welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking around. This is episode nine, What's in Your Bucket? And this is the Tell Me This podcast, and I'm your host, Carrie Borkowski. In this episode, I have been talking about bucket dipping and bucket filling. As I said, it was an extension of an extra blog post that I shared last week on whatsourstory.com. So I hope you'll check it out if you haven't already. Talked about what these terms mean, the importance of recognizing that, you know, small steps are important and that they they work in multiple ways to create positive and not so positive experiences and reactions and feelings in our friends, families, and colleagues. <clears throat> I want to wrap up the podcast today thinking about how do we or what can we do, right? All, there's always going to be bucket dipping. That's a given. We can't prevent it. We can certainly reduce it, work to minimize it, but it cannot be prevented. And so what can we do um, to sort of manage and face these ideas, these, these occurrences of bucket dipping? And as I was preparing for the podcast, I came across this article by a woman named Karen Petty, and it was 10 ways to foster resilience in young children, teaching kids to bounce back. And as I said, a lot of this literature, at least the literature that I found, was around young people and, and young kids. And I still think um, that this discussion and, and these pieces of literature that I found uh, re relate to kids and adults. And so she talks about res this idea of resilience. And I'm sure all of you have heard this term resilience. It really refers to the ability to bounce back in in terms of adversity, right? So think back to my story earlier in the podcast. I was talking about my fear of failure and worrying about training and going for a run and if I wasn't going to be able to do it, or maybe also worrying a lot about whether or not I'd finish the half marathon. I think the focus should be first on, as I said, you know, just getting started, right? You need a starting place so that you can improve. But the other thing that I should be working on is that resilience. Um, when I was training for ultra marathons, which is anything above the marathon distance, the 26 miles, I was doing a lot of trail running because um, these these races often take place in in cool, beautiful areas. So like a 30, I think it was a 31 miler, and then I did a 50 miler in Texas. And so 
when I was listening to these ultra marathon podcasts, what the the experts and the best, I mean, these sort of elite athletes in trail running were talking about was not that you have the perfect training plan, not that you have the perfect race day plan. This woman who had won these big races, there's like one big race, like a championship race that she had won, I don't know, 10 or 12 times. What she said was the best ultra marathon is a problem solver and is prepared to fail, is is prepared for something to go wrong on race day. And if you're able to train both your mind and your body to take on that adversity, you'll be successful. And so that's really, in my mind, what resilience is all about, right? Ability to bounce back in terms of adversity. How do we respond in crisis? Now, the literature also tells us that kids do usually bounce back pretty easily. I mean, whether it's, you know, literally physiologically when they skin their knee, they just heal really quickly or they fall, they're not sore, like I'm sore if I if I take a fall. Um, but they also, also emotionally, socially, psychologically are able to bounce back. So we are sort of helping to strengthen that foundation. And she gives 10, as I said, 10 ways to foster resilience in young children. She talks about building empathy. So this idea of being able to see someone else's point of view. Um, It's not that you're saying someone is right or wrong, but maybe it brings some clarity to to what happened in the occurrence. It's always important to identify a go-to person. So with my own son, um, when we went in to have a conversation, the pr- one of the first things the principal said, which I thought was amazing, was, well, who else in the building does he go to? And I think that's really what she was referring to there, having a go-to person who represents a caring adult um, in the building. And again, we're talking in the context of kids in a classroom, but you could also imagine this in your own professional or personal life, right? So if you encounter a dipper, and again, there will be bucket dippers in your life, who is your caring adult? Who is your go-to friend? Um, Brene Brown calls them our marble jar friends. Um, So who is that person that you can confide in and talk to about these things? The article also talks about listening, um, making eye contact, moving to a comfortable distance, letting the other person know that, you know, this is their time to talk and that you are really listening, just really leaning in to listen. Um, (coughs) Teaching kids and adults to see next. So to, to be able to move through an experience. So it's not, you don't push it down and try to forget it, but looking forward and using this past experience as a lesson, learning to accept individuals for who they are and valuing their contribution to the space. Sound familiar? Sounds like belonging to me. Finding areas of strength, so not working from a place of scarcity, but a place of assets and strengths. Learning that do-overs and failures and mistakes are okay, right? That's what I'm trying to help myself remember as I embark on this new adventure. Um, interestingly enough, there were a couple others on this. One was about developing responsibility. And at first, I wasn't really sure how developing responsibility was fostering resilience. But if you unpack it a little bit, the idea that she's talking about in this article is the notion of being able to and feeling like they're taking care of others so that they feel like 
um, they can, they're, they're needed and wanted and valued in a group or by a group of individuals. And it's funny, I, I'll have to look up the, the article because I don't know it off the top of my head, but this is something that comes up in the literature around mattering. So if we feel like, how do we feel like we matter? And one of the sort of tenets of mattering is this, your relationship to the group. So it's not just that you feel cared for, but that you feel like you are able to care for others. So developing that kind of responsibility. Similar to belonging, Karen Petty also suggests meaningful participation. So establishing moments where colleagues, individuals, students, your family are able to contribute. Maybe it's setting those ground rules that we talked about, right? Group goals. Um, it could be making decisions about, I don't know, what's going to be for dinner tonight or what we're going to do on the weekend or what the agenda should be for our upcoming meeting, all sorts of ways that individuals can contribute to the spaces that they're in. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, when I when I opened up this article, teaching problem solving. If we could shift our mindsets to not for focus on practicing so much that we're perfect, but practicing so much that when we hit a bump in the road, we got an alternate plan. We know what to do. We can adapt. We can make a change. We can make an adjustment. We can problem solve. That is resilience. So when you bump up against that bucket dipper or when you bump up against a deadline at work that seems impossible or a financial constraint or a really big hill with a headwind, if you can develop problem solving, you will be able to accomplish whatever is your goal, whatever you want to. And hopefully with relation to this podcast, that bucket dipping that happens as a problem solver, you might feel it. Of course you'll feel it. You're a human being, right? But maybe you won't feel it so much. You won't internalize it and have it stick with you so that it doesn't take away from your bucket um, and you're able to react, use it as a lesson and move on and perhaps make you even stronger. So to, to wrap up this week's episode, what's in your bucket? Bucket dippers, bucket fillers. What are you? Well, we're both. Let's admit it. Let's get it out there. This is a paradox. And it's not an and. It's not an either or. It's an and or both, right? We will at some point in our existence be a bucket dipper and a bucket filler. We cannot just be one or the other. So it's better to admit it now, learn and reflect and get better and better. And hopefully you'll be more of a bucket filler than a bucket dipper. We also need to keep in mind that we individually can be our worst bucket di dipper, expending all of our time and energy, not saving time for ourselves, not taking a break working and working and working and not spending time with your friends and families and colleagues, beating ourselves up with our words, thinking that we're never enough, worrying so much over failure, worrying over what others think. Some of this work around bucket filling starts in our own head. Kids and adults pick up on the dipping and the filling. So we need to start noticing our words and actions and for as much time as we can operate as bucket fillers. We will all have breaches in the wall and temporary moments of dipping, but let's try really hard to be bucket fillers. So tell me this, how can you fill someone's bucket this week? 
What could you do? Also, spend a little time and reflect on something that happened yesterday and think about how you may have been a bucket dipper, even just for a moment, and how you could change that interaction. What what did you do and what could you adjust so that it turned the bucket dipping into bucket filling? Also, keep in mind, we are, we are building resilience in ourselves, our colleagues, and kiddos, and so make sure you're taking steps to contribute to that. Are we failing and celebrating our mistakes? Are we listening and valuing individual contributions? Can we find ways to include everyone so that they are able to meaningfully contribute and take care of individuals and the group? This podcast is about belonging and cultivating a sense of community. I hope that in your comings and goings this week, you'll consider how your own bucket work contributes to belonging and your own communities. This has been Tell Me This. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski, and thanks so much for listening. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.